Good morning. It is good to see you. It's good to be back with you. It feels like I've been halfway around the world since the last time I saw you. And that's because I have been halfway around the world (laughs) since the last time I saw you. Darren Foster and I were uh, in Peru for a week working with our missionary partners, uh, Miguel and Faith, Saxara. And we had a great trip. Um, God is doing some really, really exciting things uh, through them and the ministry down there. Things that look to me like the book of Acts. You know, we've spent so much time in the book of Acts the past few months. And so next week I'm going to take a few minutes at the beginning just to give you a little update on what's going on with Faith and Miguel and just how our trip went and some, some details about that. Just to be honest, by the time I got home, I didn't sleep a lot on the trip and uh, we flew all night when we got back and I just didn't put it together for this morning. wanted to get John 15 ready and so that's what we got. So next week at the beginning I'll talk about Peru just a little bit. Um, need to say muchas gracias to Big Daddy Word for bringing the word to us last week when I was out of town. He did an awesome job. He's out of town this week visiting family in Texas. I got to listen online, so hopefully, Eric, if you're listening, you're already getting to enjoy the real chili con queso that you're so passionate about, and my hope for you is that it has been bussin' bussin'. So, but really, he did an awesome job last week. Listen, he took, like, every senior day ever is Jeremiah 29:11. you know? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for a hope and a future, to give you hope and a future. And he took it, and he was dead on with what he said, and the way that we rip that out of its context so often, and we, we give everybody, ourselves included, but we give our graduated seniors, the only way to say it, it's like this lightweight, can't stand up to the weight of life promise, where it's just like, hey, God has good plans for you. Everything's going to be great. Everything's, trust him, it's going to be easy. And that's not what Jeremiah 29 is talking about. And Eric did a great job saying, they're about to go into exile. They're about to lose everything that they think is important, everything that matters to. This is the hardest thing they're ever going to go through. And God comes in the middle of the hardest thing they're ever going to go through. And he says, I still have plans for you plans for your good. I'm still for you. In the middle of the hardest thing you'll ever go through, I'm still working out my plan for you, and it's a plan for good, and I can take the hardest thing that you face and work it for your good. Um, and to be able to say, this is, this is who God is. Not just when things are good and easy, and it's not just a promise that your life's always going to be good and easy. This is who God is. He's big enough to handle the hardest thing you'll ever go through. He's good enough to redeem the worst thing that you'll ever go through. He can handle anything that ever happens in your life. He will take it, and in his grace and his wisdom and his sovereign power, he will work it in his plans, work it in his plans for you, and work it for your ultimate good in him. And so I just, I was really thankful that that that's what all of us, our seniors last week, get to hear. Thankful to Eric for being so faithful uh, to teach God's Word and teach it contextually, what it really means and what it really says. Um, and so I just I want to start by saying thank you to him uh, for that, and thank you to you all for participating in the truths you shared last week like you always do. Um, today we are in John 15. Keith already mentioned that. And I settled on John 15 uh, really because it's Memorial Day weekend. And you know, we're not driven by any other calendar other than every Sunday we come and remember that Jesus came to life on Sunday, and we gather because of that and worship because of that, and the Word of God guides what we say. But we do have these things uh, in our world that, that are echoes, like, like God's given us all these whispers throughout nature and throughout humanity and human history that are echoes 
of what he's done in Jesus. Like the, the great story that he's told in Jesus, he repeats in all these small stories, if you've got eyes to see it and ears to hear it. And, and on a day when we remember people who have given their lives for others, who have sacrificed their life so that other people can be free, um, to, to not look at that and say, we're thankful for that and, and, and we honor that most of all because of the way that it points us to what Jesus has done. You know, what, what people have done for our freedom, political freedom, religious freedom uh, in this country is a, a picture, an echo of what Jesus has done on the grandest scale spiritually for anyone who will believe in him. Not limited to any country, not limited to any government, um, but for all, everyone, everywhere who would believe in him. And not just for some, some sort of freedom in this life, but for ultimate spiritual freedom all time in God to have a relationship with God that sets us free from all the things that would bind us and hold us and ensnare us and entrap us, and for him to come and say, this is what you were made to be in God. I want to make you right with God. And so today, I thought it was appropriate to say we're thankful for what Memorial Day represents, and we're thankful for those who have given their lives so that we can have freedom, even to do this right now to come together and say, we want to study the Bible together. And not that, not that you can ever be stopped from doing that, whether you have the freedom to do it or not. Right? No one in the world can stop you from gathering as God's people and worshiping together. They can punish you for it. We've seen it in the book of Acts. They can persecute you for it. They can kill you for it. But they can't stop you from doing it. But what we're thankful for is that we don't gather today with that fear. Um, and so we're thankful for that sacrifice and we're thankful for the ways that it can point us to Jesus and remind us of the greatest sacrifice, the sacrifice that achieves and accomplishes things that only Jesus could achieve and accomplish. And so I think that's part of what we're going to see in John 15 today. But then also John 15 is just a great chapter. It's so rich and full. Um, Keith, the, his uh, community group, texted through it on Wednesday night. and He was like, there's no way that you can do this in one week. I was like, yeah, there's no way we can cover it all in one week. We'll just see what God points us to today, and we'll focus on those parts. And if we need to spend another week in it next week, we will. Um, but also along the same lines of Memorial Day and uh, remembering, in the case of Memorial Day, those who have sacrificed themselves for our freedom, I wanted to let you know uh, that about a week and a half ago in our church family, we suffered uh, the loss of one of our elders, um, Les Neely, Les had served as an elder for several years in the church, um, was our longest uh, standing elder until last summer he started having a lot of physical problems that prevented him from serving anymore. And so he literally served as an elder until the moment he physically couldn't do it anymore. Um, and a week and a half ago, uh, he passed away and went home to be with Jesus. And we're thankful for the healing and the freedom that he is experiencing now the wholeness um, because it, it was a long final 10 months for he and Debbie and the family. But you can keep praying uh, for them as they grieve and miss him, uh, grieve with hope, but still grieve um, him moving on and, and being with Jesus. Now, no grief for him, but grief for us still here. And you can pray for us as a church family. Um, Les was the property manager for this property for a long time for us. Um, he brought just a great heart for God um, and for this church and, and wisdom to the elders. And, and we've missed him even in the past 10 months when he hasn't been able uh, to serve, and, and we're going to continue to miss him. There's a hole there 
um, that we will need God to fill as he sees uh, fit and that he will lead us to do that. And so I just wanted you to know that that's something in the life of our church right now um, that, that some members in our body are, are really struggling with, and you can just pray for them, pray for Debbie, his wife. Um, but uh, the very, just a couple weeks before he died, Adam, Keith, and I, the other elders, we went to see him at his house one last time, basically to say goodbye. And, um, and this just tells you what he's like. Uh, he, he looks at us and he says, I'm sorry that I haven't been able to be at the meetings talking about the elders' meetings. <laughs> it was just like, don't spend your time at elders' meetings. Um, but he just had a great heart, and he, he served this church really well. Um, and I'm thankful for the work of Jesus in less, of the good things that Jesus produced in him uh, toward this church and the church. And so we can be thankful for that. But I wanted you to know about that in case you hadn't heard yet. So we're going to pray right now and thank God for Les and his family. Uh, thank God for Memorial Day weekend and what it means, and then ask God to speak to us out of John 15 right now, to teach us things about him. And as I read John 15, that we would be listening from our hearts with what does this teach us about God, who God is, how he works, um, and we'll see where he leads us this morning. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time right now. And I do thank you for Les and Debbie and their family. And I thank you for Bless the service as an elder um, to this church for many years. I thank you for the work of Jesus in him, the, the good things that you have given to us as your church through less. And we know that that comes from you, and we thank you for it. I pray for Debbie and the kids as they grieve right now. And I ask that you will comfort them, that you will give them a sense of your presence uh, that is nearer and, and deeper and more comforting than they've ever known before this, and assurance of your faithfulness and goodness to the things that you've promised in Jesus, and, and the hope um, that because Jesus is alive, that all of us who die in him live in him. And so we thank you for that gospel truth, that when we do face the hardest thing in this life and the end of this life, that the answer is still Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so we come believing that and praying that for Les's family and thanking you for that. Thank you for Memorial Day weekend, for the, the pictures and illustrations of love and sacrifice that have been given to us that others have given their lives for our sake, for our good, for our freedom. And I pray in that, that we wouldn't stop with that good thing, but that, that we would move to the best thing and the greatest thing. And in that, we would see Jesus and his love and his sacrifice for our sake, his goodness to us and his grace to us, and the life that you give us through his death and resurrection. And so right now, Father, turn our eyes and our hearts to you. Please teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. Open up the truth of your word in John 15 to us right now and open us up to the truth of your word so that we see you and we know you and we love you and we trust you and we follow you in a way that is worthy of who you are because it's your work in us. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, John chapter 15. Uh, This is Jesus talking. And so what does this teach us about God? Father, Son, and Spirit. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. That's John 15. What's that teach us about God? What stands out to you this morning? Yeah, Jesus calls us to love one another. 
the theme of love is obviously a really big theme throughout the whole chapter, and we may make some connections from one part to the next. Um, but it's, it's clear when he's saying, if you are my people and you are connected to me the way that, that a branch is connected to the vine, that your life is coming from me and I am now your source because Jesus is a person of love, that God is love and, and that the Son is the full representation of who the Father is and that he's showing the Father to us that the love that exists in Jesus for his people is then flowing to us, right? connected to him, abiding in him, finding our life in him. He's the source. And so what is in him, he's producing in us so that the love of God for us in Jesus becomes the love that he puts in us for one another. Like, this is what it means to be united to him and to be one with him and to be his people, that we love one another the way that he loves us with the love that he's producing in us. What else? The only way to love like Jesus is to be connected to Jesus. And, and love is the ultimate expression of all of this that God basically reveals to us in the Bible that if you get love right, and like real love, the love of God, biblical love, not the way the world would define it, but real self-giving, self-sacrificing love that pours yourself out for the good of others, that has learned to forget about yourself in humility and die to yourself. And now you live first and foremost for God, by God as he lives in you, but then for others and for the good of others, that kind of love. Like that encompasses everything else. But I do want to say in this sentence, you can take love, out, like the only way to love like Jesus is to be committed, connected to Jesus and fill in every other good thing that Jesus wants from you. you know, the, the only way to be bold like Jesus is to be connected to Jesus. The only way to be humble like Jesus is to be connected to Jesus. The only way to be righteous like Jesus is to be connected to Jesus. The only way to be wise like Jesus is to be connected to Jesus. The only way to be merciful like Jesus is to be connected to Jesus. And just go on. The only way to be faithful like Jesus is to be connected to Jesus. The only way to be strong like Jesus is to be connected to Jesus. The only way to be whatever I haven't said yet, patient. Did I say patient yet? Patient like Jesus is to be connected to Jesus. The only way to be good and kind like Jesus is to be connected to Jesus. Everything that that you would say that the good things that should be produced in us, the only way they're really going to happen in a way that it's like, yeah, this is like the mercy and love and grace and goodness and kindness and faithfulness of Jesus is if it comes from Jesus. That's what he said. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And sometimes I, I just think, like, maybe we should just stop on that and just ask, like, do we believe that? Like, do you know that you are, when it comes to spiritual things, that you are that wretched? and that bankrupt, and that empty, and that unable, that insufficient, that inadequate in and of yourself to produce any that apart from him, here's what you can do. Nothing. Like nothing of actual spiritual value is what he means. Nothing of spiritual significance. Nothing of spiritual power. Nothing that's going to last forever and matter forever. Nothing that's going to live up to the standards of God 
and match the holiness of his character. Nothing that doesn't come from you. This is how desperately needy and dependent we are on Jesus. And have our eyes been opened and has our heart been softened enough by the grace of God to say, yeah, that's who I really am. That's how desperate I am and that's how dependent I am. And every moment that I rely on me is a ridiculous moment of sin, a lack of faith in me that I'm turning back to me again instead of God. I'm trusting me again instead of God. I'm relying on me again instead of God. And when I do, I get what I can produce instead of what God can produce. And what I can produce is nothing of spiritual value. Like, do we really believe that? Like, do we believe how desperate we are? And then also, like, that, that's the truth that the Bible teaches us about. Like, when we see who God is, really, like, really see Him, and our eyes are open to see how great and good He is and all of His glory and His grace, and we really see who He is, then we see who we are, and we're not this. We're not. And we should be undone, shattered and broken by who He is and, and who we are, who we're not in light of who He is. But then... This is the moment, this is the first moment that you really begin to understand grace and what it is to have a God who would look at people who are not, not what they're supposed to be and never going to be, never going to get there. They don't have the things they're supposed to and they can't give what they're supposed to. They have nothing to offer and God would look at you and there's nothing in you, nothing about you, now or ever in the future that would compel him to love you and come to you and want you and choose you. And yet he does. Because of who he is. Because of the love that exists in him. He looks at you. And because of him, he loves you. He loves you because that's who he is in his nature. And he comes to you and he says, I'll make you everything you're not. I'll give you everything you don't have. I'll be in you. All the things that I want from you. Just come and abide in me. Be connected to me. Stop drawing from your own well. Stop making yourself the source of the things you can never provide. And come and rest in me and trust me and be connected to me and draw from me. Let me live my life through you and then I'll be pleased with your life. (laughs) Let me fill you with my love and then you can love the way that I love. You'll, You'll have my love. I'll be that love in you. Let me fill you, and just fill in the blanks with everything we said earlier. That God's saying to you, let me fill you with my mercy and my grace and my patience and my kindness and my goodness and my faithfulness and my wisdom and my strength. I'll be that for you. I'll be that in you. I'll be that through you. But you can only get it from me. You can't get it from yourself. And so the only way to love like Jesus is to be connected to Jesus. The call of this passage, if it's a call to love one another, right off the bat, it's Jesus in his own way, saying to us, you can't do what I call you to do. You can't love like this. Not in a way where you get over yourself and none of it's about you and and that you don't approach other people as, hey, you can meet my needs and give me what I want. And there's these things that I really, really, and the better you are at meeting my needs, the more I love you. (laughs) You're so good for me. And I love you because of that. That's not love. (laughs) Love is a, a pouring out of self, a giving of self for others. And the only way to be set free to love like that is, first of all, to encounter the fact that Jesus has loved you like that. And the more that you learn 
to rest in his love and be filled with his love, the more satisfied you are in his love, then the less you need other people to fill you up because you're getting from Jesus what they could never give you anyway. But he's given you the real thing. And now that you have it and you start to get full with that, you don't need to look for it somewhere else. I don't need you now to fill me up when Jesus fills me up. So now I'm free to love you without needing from you to just give unconditionally. Without, I don't give because I'm going to get something back to you. I just give, which is the way God gives. But you only do it when it's Jesus producing that in you. I spent a lot of time on that. What else you got? <laughs> Mm. Yeah, yeah. The so the the absolutism of Jesus is the way that John said it, and I'll, I'll write it down that way. Um, you, you know, we could say Jesus. And Jesus alone, right? And then also, there's no one like Jesus. One like Jesus. Or if you want to, only Jesus can do this. And, like, I am the vine. That's what he's saying. This is Jesus. And, and if you were with us just a few weeks ago, when we did Psalm 23, you know, or the first five words of Psalm 23, the Lord there with the capital L-O-R-D that we talked about that translates that divine name Yahweh from the Old Testament, where in Exodus 3, when he first speaks to Moses, he says, I am who I am. And then he says, you said that I am sent me to you. That the, the Greek translation of that in the New Testament, that phrase, is the same words that Jesus keeps applying to himself that John was talking about, I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the living water. I am the bread that came down from heaven. He does it. John organizes his gospel, if you want to study the whole gospel, with seven of those I am statements. And kind of the pinnacle one is in John 8, when Jesus is in this pretty heated discussion with the religious leaders Heated enough that he's like, hey, God is my father and the devil's your father. <laughs> like it's, not, it's not real. Uh, Jesus isn't being real mindful of his audience there. Like he's, he's here like with a bunch of religious people, in church, just the Pharisees at the temple, though. And he's like, the devil's your father. That's why you don't understand anything I'm saying. And so they push back, and they're going back and forth. And then they say, are you claiming that you're greater than Abraham? which is the moment where you would think that any human in that religious tradition would be like, oh, no, that's not what I'm saying. And Jesus responds with, I tell you before Abraham was, I am. Like it's, it's one of the clearest statements that Jesus ever makes about who he is as God the Son, fully equal with God the Father, fully possessing the divine nature, that he was here before Abraham, and that that I am who you meet all throughout the Old Testament, this is him come down in the flesh now living among us, um, and so, yeah, like the, these statements that Jesus is making, I mean, even just apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, if you flip that around and think about it, that's Jesus saying, I'm the source of everything. 
Everything that matters spiritually, all spiritual power, all spiritual goodness, Jesus is saying, I am the source of all of it. Outside me, there is none. Which for us, then the application becomes both for your life, my life, and us as a church. Like if we look at our life and there's anything that we're doing that isn't grounded in Jesus and driven by Jesus and powered by Jesus and about Jesus and making Jesus known and in obedience to Jesus. Like you step out and it's any of my ideas or your ideas separate from Jesus, any of our resources, your resources, mine separate from Jesus, any of our programs, procedures, practices, like anything else that we would do, like it's nothing. Nothing. And we can do all this good stuff out of human resources that looks really good to human eyes and gets all these human results that we like to measure and like to celebrate. And Jesus says, that's nothing apart from him. That what we need is not to bring a whole lot of us to the table and then produce what we can with that. We need to bring a whole lot of emptiness to the table and let him fill it up. Like to ask him to carve out, to prune. That was the word he used at the beginning, to prune and to clean. To carve out everything that's not him. All the things that are the world and the flesh and the devil in us. All the things that aren't Jesus. To carve that out and clean that out and create a capacity in us of emptiness, of depth, that he can then fill us with more of himself. Because when we abide in him, we get everything that he is. You know, you'll bear much fruit. There will be an abundance of spiritual life flowing out of you because that's who he is. Like he's not just a little bit spiritually powerful, and he's not just a little bit gracious, and he's not just a little bit the son of God. He's all that infinitely, unending, never running out. And he will come and be the source that produces that in you. But you've got to come empty and open and dependent, saying, yeah, this is who I am, and this is who Jesus is. And I need Jesus to be who only Jesus can be in me and through me. And that's who we need to be as his church. What else stands out to you? The past week in Peru, this moment, I, instead of what else I learned, just came off. Came off. What more? Um, most of the, the leaders that we were training while we were down there were 16, 17, like they were teenagers going back to these villages um, that are really remote and hard to reach. One kid came five hours to the training, and it was three hours by boat, and then to get to the first place where there's a road, and then two hours by car. And that's part of what, I know I'm getting ahead of myself till next week, but that's part of what encouraged me so much was when you think about ends of the earth and this call of Jesus to make him known everywhere. It was just looking and be like, we're getting right now just the word and the spirit. That's all we have. We just sat and did this. We read a chapter, we prayed together, read a chapter of the Bible and asked him, what does this teach you about God? And we talked about it. But then they took some of the Bibles that you all gave money for back at Christmas and they were taking those back to their villages with this method. And we were just encouraging them, do this in your village. Do this with your friends. Do this with the people that you're playing soccer with. Um, and just to see that the Spirit and the Word is enough for the people of God. Like, really, the Spirit of God and the Word of God is enough for the people of God. Um, and so I've, I've really enjoyed getting to do that. And, uh, and it, it, it 
made me just think, like coming back here and thinking about, yeah, we come together and we do this every week. Do we know how crucial and central this is? Uh, do, do we really believe that this is the power of God to build his church and to make disciples to the ends of the earth? Do we recognize that this is how he's doing it in you and in me? Because it's one of the things that stands out to me. You know, in verse 4 here, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. And then did you notice the, the switch that he makes down here in verse 7? If you abide in me. So, there's a saying, so he's already said abide in me. And now he comes back with a parallel, if you abide in me. But the first time up here when he said, abide in me and I in you, now he switches it. He says, you abide in me and my words abide in you. And so Jesus comes really closely here to equating, if, you, if I can draw the arrow up far enough to get you back to verse 4. There's no way to see that on one screen with the size we've got. But he equates him abiding in you to his word abiding in you. That having his word abide in you is having him abide in you. Like, Do you come to the word of God? First of all, you see here this idea of we're supposed to come to encounter Jesus. Like, this is about Jesus. Like, real, really knowing this is knowing Jesus. Really having these words abide in us is having Jesus abide in us. He, he associates himself that closely with the word, which is how John 1 starts. That in the beginning was the word. No Bible exists yet. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's talking about the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, being the spoken Word of God. When, God. when God expresses Himself and reveals Himself, Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is the self-expression of the Father. And so to know Him is to know the Word of God. But I, I think that it's so easy for us, you know, in our, the, the same thing that we can be so grateful for, that we can get together and there's no fear of persecution. There's no fear. Uh, we just have the freedom to come and do this. Also makes it so easy that it's easy to become flippant about it. And to take it lightly. Yeah, that's what we do every Sunday. I'm glad we get to do that. It's, I mean, and it's not that you don't appreciate it. It's good. I'm glad we do it. It's really helpful for me. And not to realize like you are encountering the God of the universe. <laughs> the God of all things. The God of all glory. And he's saying, I'll come and I'll meet with you and I'll speak to you and I'll live in you through my word. There's nothing that you need more than to know him and to have him living in you. And he's basically saying here, like, if you will come and depend on me in my word, that's how I'll live in you. So it's why we would ask, what's this teach us about God? Because he clearly says, my word is me. My word is about me. And it's also why we would say that he has to do this. That he has to speak and teach in a way that only he can. And you get down to the very end and you see the other piece that I mentioned there. When Jesus starts making this promise, hey, yeah, you've got my word, which is me, but you still, you still can't do this unless I help you even more. He's like, so I'm going to send more help. I'll send the spirit of truth. And so here we get God the spirit. God the Spirit coming and revealing God the Son through the Word to the glory of God the Father. And just so you know, I, know, I think we'll do John 15 again next week because I've got some things I'd like us to talk through in addition. I don't want to rush it all this morning. But then as I was thinking about this section here, I've said this several times in Acts because we focused on the work of the Spirit so much in Acts. But I'd like to come back the Sunday after that and do a Sunday morning on the Trinity 
and just talk about the biblical basis behind one God, fully, completely united within himself, but who expresses himself in these three persons of Father, Son, and Spirit, and, and some of the ways that we can understand that biblical. Because I know that's, like, that's one that we just kind of, oh yeah, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and we write these truths down, but it's pretty mind-boggling. And I'm, by the way, I'm not going to be able to explain it all to you. But I think I can give you some ways to think about it, like why we come to believe that's what the Bible teaches ultimately, and then also some really significant application it has of if that's who God is and that's his nature from all eternity past, what does that mean for us like as his people and as a church? I do think there's some significant stuff that flows out of that. So maybe another week in John 15 next week and then one week in the Trinity be the plan for the next couple of weeks. But back to John 15 right now. A couple more truths about God that stood out to you. Anything else you want to point out right here? He's already done the work. We just show up. Did I hear that right? Yeah. And God has already done, is already doing, and will keep doing. I just gave you all the tenses there. The work. We just show up and stay connected to him. You know, Jesus is making a lot of promises to us in this chapter in one sense when he's saying, look, I'm going to be the source. I'll produce it. You don't have to come and generate any life in and of yourself. I'll generate all the life. You stay connected to me. You don't have to make me alive. I'll make you alive. You don't have to give something to me. I'll give everything to you. That's the picture of the vine and the branches. right? You cut the branch off from the vine. The branch dies. What happens to the vine? It's still alive, right? And it produces more branches. It's still producing life. This is not an equal relationship in that sense. The vine is not dependent on the branch in the way the branch is dependent on the vine. And I feel like I've hammered that the first half today. But also, the vine is giving things to the branch that the branch can't give to the vine. The vine is supporting the branch in a way that the branch can never support the vine. And so it is. Like, this is God's work. And it's his power. And he's the source. And then he says, hey, come and get connected to me and you can be connected to my work and connected to my power and connected to me as a source. You can be part of what I'm doing because when the branch is connected to the vine, the branch becomes a real expression of the vine. Right? The branch really does live out the life of the vine and produce the fruit of the vine. And so the branch is really part of what the vine's doing. Just don't ever get confused that the vine is doing it. And in this case, the vine is saying, you can make a choice by faith to be connected to me. You can make a choice to be part of what I'm doing. Now, the vine's not going to come over and join the branch in death and do what the branch is doing by itself, right? But the vine is inviting the branch to come and be connected to him in life and to join him in what he's doing. And was there a particular verse you had in mind when you were saying that? I want to mark it. If... Oh, yeah, that's so good, yes. And, and it gets lost in this particular translation and you can check me on this later if you want to, but I'm pretty, pretty sure that this word prune right here and clean is actually the same word in Greek. Um, and so he's saying, like, when you're connected to me, God comes and prunes you 
which is basically what we were talking about earlier, this idea of, of God cleaning out all the stuff in us that isn't of him and from him and for him. So that, that all, the energy, all the energy he's pouring into you gets funneled into this is really who he's called us to be and what he's called us to do. And we're not wasting on this stuff that isn't him anymore. And you see that all the time. Like if any of you have any kind of plants or flowers or anything at your house that you trim you know, every fall or winter and you trim off like all the little extra stuff so that in the spring you know, the life and the energy doesn't get wasted on that and you, it focuses on the main part of the plant and it grows that much thicker and that much fuller and that much richer and that much faster because it's all getting poured into the right place. And so he's saying, God, there's going to be things when you're connected to Jesus. And this also, listen, this goes hand in hand with what I was saying earlier about that he loves you when you're unlovable. He chooses you when there's nothing in you to make him choose you. It's because of him. That he is that extravagant in his love. And you can be that far gone and that messed up and that sinful and look that awful in the eyes of the whole world and all religious people, and he'll come and love you anyway right where you are and meet you where you are. That part's true. And then also know this, that same love that loves you that way in the wretchedness of who you are loves you so much that he won't let you stay wretched like that. (laughs) He says, I'll love you exactly the way you are, and I'll be changing you and making you better. I won't make you better so that I can love you. I'll love you so that I can make you better. Do you see the difference? It's not, hey, I got, if I polish you up and get you looking right, then I'll love you. That's not what Jesus is. I already love you, and I love you so much that I'm going to take you to where you need to be. I can't, I can't let you stay here with these things that aren't good for you, that are death for you, so I'm going to cut them off. And it does feel like pruning, and it does feel like surgery, and it does feel like death. But that's where we trust his love and trust his goodness. And so, so, you know, that's the idea of the pruning there. But then he says, but also already, I've been doing this in you. Already you were clean, pruned because of the word that I've spoken to you. And so it's like he's coming to them and he's saying, look, I'm already doing my work in you. <laughs> the, 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 the moment that you come looking for me, it's because I already came looking for you and found you. <laughs> The moment that your heart responds to me in love, it's because I've already poured out my heart to you in love. I'm already doing this. And this is why you know it's going to happen. Because he's already started it and he doesn't fail. He doesn't mess up. He doesn't get halfway through work. Well, I can't pull that off. Like if he has chosen you, like he says later here to the disciples, if he has chosen you and chosen to do this work in you and chosen to do this work through you, he's going to do it. Like it is a, a glorious promise to us and, and a great insight into who he is and how he does this. But also for us, it is this honest realization of, hey, you're not yet fully who he's making you. You aren't perfectly in the likeness of Jesus yet. And so there's still going to be some stuff that he prunes. And what I hope for us like, as a body in general, like a local church body, in community groups as you're building relationships and speaking in each other's lives, and then even as you interact with people in the world who aren't part of this church, that we can reflect that exact same. We usually get it wrong on both sides, and I'm saying I hope that we can get both sides right as Jesus loves through us, that we can love in a way when people look nothing like what they're supposed to, we still love them that we don't alienate them. We don't. Our response isn't, well, if you're not who you're supposed to be, then I'm done with you. And our response isn't, get yourself right first. Then you can come be part of us. 
Because that's not how Jesus loves. And if we're supposed to love one another the way that he loves us, you know, what his love looks like is pursuing people when they are so far gone and pursuing people when they haven't done anything right and pursuing people when they're never going to get it right on their own. So there's that piece of it. But then on the flip side, and our society also misses this, where we start to say, well, okay, so then love, grace, tolerance, acceptance means whatever, whatever you do is okay. And whatever you want to believe, and as long as, as you do what you do and I do it, who, who am I to tell you not to do this or to do that or this is wrong or this is right? But that's not what Jesus is saying either. He's saying, I love you no matter what. If, if you are just covered in death that needs to be ripped off of you, I still love you. But also, because I love you, I'm going to rip that stuff off. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to act like it's supposed to be there. I'm not going to leave it on you when I know it's not good for you. And so there's this place also where we have to, if it's real love and real relationships, we've got to speak into each other's lives. And we've got to say things to each other sometimes. We're like, hey, I do see this in you, and this isn't of Jesus. How can I walk alongside with you? And and how can we come together in his word and, and, and be pruned by his word and be cleaned by his word? How can we allow him together in prayer, dependence on him to, to, to deal with this and to carve this out and to cut this off? And so we're saying, in a sense, it's a mindset as a church that I hope will be around. You're accepted here no matter what. You're welcome here. Always because of the grace of God. I don't care what you've done, what your past is. I don't care what you're struggling with right now. You're welcome here. But probably long term, if we're all being faithful, you aren't always going to be comfortable here. And our, our love for you is not that we're trying to make you comfortable all the time. Our love for you, and I hope your love for me, is that we're saying, hey, Jesus, Jesus is the source, so he's your only hope, so you're welcome here no matter what, because look, it doesn't depend on you anyway. You can be as messed up as you want to be, and Jesus is still our hope. He's the source. But Jesus is also the goal. And as he's producing something real in us, he's moving us toward that goal. And when we see things in each other that aren't him yet, or we see mindsets and approaches in our church that are more worldly and typical and traditional than they are biblical and and of God and of the Spirit, then we want to say, hey, that's not what it looks like for Jesus to be the source. And we've got to deal with that. And that's not a rejection of you. That's not condemnation for you or for me or any of the rest of us. That's just saying, we believe what Jesus says. There's stuff in me that needs to be pruned. There's stuff in me that needs to be cleaned. And we want it to be a place where we can be honest about that. And we can come and we can confess and we can say, I need Jesus to do this in me. Because, like, yeah, like he's, he's produced some really good life in this part of me. And I'm seeing the results of that. Like I'm seeing how he's using this part of me to accomplish his work and to express his love. But I'm still pretty dead over here. <laughs> And I'm still struggling with just the death of my own sin over here. And I need him to cut this off. And I need you to come with me to his word and in prayer. And let's encounter him together. And let him prune the stuff that shouldn't be here. Not because because he doesn't love you, but because he does. Not because he doesn't love you exactly as you are. He does. But he loves you so much that he won't leave you exactly as you are. And I hope I'm saying that well enough that that we don't hear it through the typical like fleshly religion filter, but you really do hear it through the gospel filter of this is how he loves you and how good he is to you. What else? Something else that stands out to you. One more. Yeah. 
Man. We don't have time. Not this week. <laughs> Not in this culture. By the way, in Peru, time means nothing. <laughs> One day we were supposed to start at 10. We ended up getting there at 3.30, and we were still early. <laughs> it's such a fun place to be. We're just like, yeah, we'll just see what happens today. Um, I know, but those of you that are getting real nervous right now, like, we're not doing that here. I try to be culturally. Oh, that's true. Tomorrow's a holiday. We can back now. Um, this verse that Chris pointed out, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You know, think about part of what he's referring to right there is, hey, I'm going to prune you and clean you. I'm going to cut off your dead parts. I'm going to cut off the parts that I'm going to be. He said, but here's why. Because I want you to have real joy. And there isn't joy in death. And there isn't joy apart from Jesus. And there isn't joy when the things of your flesh and the things of, your world have, of the world have such a grip on you and a hold on you that you can't get free and you can't real, live real life and you're not who God created you to be in that moment and you're a slave to sin and you're not free to joyfully and willingly be a slave to God. That all these things... And the thing is, then in our twisted spiritual blindness, these very things that rob us of joy and ensnare us and are shackles for us, we then turn to them and we think, that those are the things that if I could just get this right or more of this or better of this that I would have joy then like it's not that I that I think hey I need to die and be connected to a new source of life that's not me and be a totally like recreated now I'm part of the vine and it's a brand new me because he's the source of life now instead of me we don't really think that that's what we need we think I just need a better version of me and a lot of times that's what we turn to religion to do for. Like, like the version of me I am right now is not good enough, but it's just I need, I need a better version of this, more of this. Teach this better, train this better. Listen, you need to die to yourself. You can't be the source of this. You die to yourself and you find a new life in Jesus. You die to yourself as the source and foundation and center of your own life. And you find the source and foundation and center of your life in Jesus, that he is your life. To live is Christ. And then he's saying, and I want to be that for you, for your joy. Do you hear his goodness in that statement? Like, even when I have to prune you, even when I have to clean you, even when I have to cut things off, it's because I want you to have more joy. And I know this is the only path to joy, and I love you enough to take you along that path. Like, this is a gardener, a vine dresser who you can trust. He knows where you need to go, and he knows the, the way to produce the most life in you, and he knows the things that need to come off. And he's basically, abide in me. Do you hear the ongoing nature of that? Like, it, it's keep walking with me. Keep knowing me all the time, every moment, every day that you're living in the depth of this ongoing, never-ending relationship with Jesus where you're saying, okay, I surrender myself to you. I'm in your hands all the time. Not for an hour on Sunday mornings. All the time. I'm in your hands and you are my life. And if you say this needs to go, it must need to go because you know better than I do. And if you say there needs to be more of this, there must need to be more of this. So please produce more of this in me. And, and then he's looking at you as you surrender to him that way. Because it is scary. You give yourself up and you say, okay, I'm not trusting myself to me anymore. I'm trusting myself to somebody else. But what if they don't take as good a care of me as I would have? 
you don't have to raise your hands, but I want you to ask yourself, how many of you, that fear exists inside of you in any relationship? Can I really trust them? Can I really give myself to them? Can I really be vulnerable with them? Can I really be open and honest and authentic with them? Because when, when they see the real me, they're not going to like that. So I've got to hide. And then also, so, you know, there, there's your fear side. They're going to reject me, so I've got to hide. And then here's your pride side. I really know how to take care of me better than they do. <laughs> I'm not going to trust myself. I know better than they do what I need. And both those things, that fear and that pride, destroy community. It keeps us from loving one another the exact way Jesus is talking about. But he's saying, hey, don't start there. You don't have it in you. You can't do it. You can't love one another that way. Don't start there. He says, start with me. Come and see that I love you that way. You can show me the worst things about you, and I won't reject you. And I'll love you, and I'll love you through it. And with Jesus, he's also saying, and I know better than you. <laughs> I know what you need more than you know what you need. I know how to take care of you better than you know how to take care of you. And even more, then he's saying, and I can do it. The part that John's talking about there, the I am, I am the true vine, I am the resurrection, the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the bread of life, I am the living water. Before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, I have all the power and resources of the great I am to do this for you, and because I love you, I want your good. I want your joy. I'm working for you in that. It's such a reversal. Like it really makes no sense that the God of the universe would come and work for us in that way instead of demanding that we work for him in that way. But that's what the gospel is. Listen, that is what the gospel is. That God loves you in a way to do for you what you ought to do for him and haven't. That God gives to you what you should have given to him but didn't. And just to see that this really is the order, and we're going to wrap up here. As the Father has loved me, so from all eternity past, the Father's loved the Son perfectly, fully and completely. Like you think about the perfect love of God within God himself. Like there's nothing outside of God now to mess it up. But within God himself, the, the, the love of God the Father for God the Son how perfect and pure and holy and intense and powerful and righteous and glorious is that kind of love? And Jesus says, if you can even, if you can try to even imagine what that's like, that's how I love you. That Jesus loves you the way that the Father has loved him for all eternity. And then he comes back and says, so abide in my love. Now I want you to notice the order right there, because this hammers what I'm trying to say. He doesn't say, hey, if you'll abide in my love, then I'll love you. Hey, if you'll get this right and do this and come to me the right way, then I'll... It's not what he says. I have loved you already. When you were running from me, when you were rejecting me, when you were ignoring me, when you were living for yourself instead of me, I've loved you. My love's always been here. Now will you come and abide in it? It's here. It's always been here. It's always going to be here. You do have a choice. Will you step into it or not? Will you keep living for yourself, by yourself, from yourself, relying on yourself, or will you die to yourself and turn and come to me? That's what he's saying. It's always here. Like, his love, always right there. Like, 
not even a step away, but one step away. And he's just saying, will you turn from yourself and turn to me and step into my love and come abide, start living ongoing in my love. And so just see the order there. He said, I've already loved you. I didn't love you because you got yourself right. I'm willing to help you get yourself right because I love you. That's the order. And then he goes on and says, so I told you to abide in my love. Here's how you do it. If you keep my commands, keep my word, right? Hear what I'm saying to you and do it and you'll stay in me. You'll, if you do that, you'll abide in my love because that's the way I've abided in my father's love. And then this is the best thing of all, the way he takes it full circle. So he, he said, okay, I already love you. I want you to abide in my love. You'll abide in my love by doing what I say. Listening to me, believing me, trusting me so much that you do what I say. And he said, and here's what I say. Like he said, you know, keep my commands. Well, here's my commandment I'm talking about. That you love one another as I have loved you. You want to know if you're abiding in Jesus? If you've really given up yourself and died to yourself and, and dived headfirst into his love and you're abiding in this deep, deep ocean of his love now, here's how you know that you're so wet with love, so soaked with love, that you start to love other people the way that he loves you. He says, the way the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now, if you stay in my love, here's the commandment that will start to be fulfilled in you. You'll love other people that way. And that brought us to this verse for I want us to end today, this great Memorial Day verse. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And obviously, Jesus was speaking about himself there. That's why he goes to verse 14. You are my friends. He said, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. And, and he's saying, like, in, in this world, this is the greatest picture of love that you would ever see. If someone loves someone else enough, like, has gotten over self and outside of self so that you're no longer living for yourself, but you're pouring yourself out to someone else in love, and you pour yourself out so completely that you'd pour yourself out completely. That you'd give all of yourself, all of your life, that you would lay down your life for someone else and die for them. Yes, literally die. And also spiritually, figuratively, every day die. You before me. You instead of me. This isn't about me. The way that Jesus has loved us, that we would love one another that way. But then I want you to take that. Jesus, this is the greatest love you could see in this world. That somebody would lay down their life for their friends. And then I want you to go to Romans 5 with me as we end. And I'll make the connection here in a second, but as I read, I'm going to talk about a couple things. While we, and, and have in your mind the idea of friends. Jesus just said the greatest love you'll ever encounter in this world is that someone would die for his friend, right? And you think of friend as okay, somebody that I care about. Somebody who matters to me. Maybe somebody that I respect, admire, appreciate. The idea of friend is I like them enough that it produces in me this willingness to die for them. So that's the example of great love that he held up in John 15. Now look at Romans 5 and the example of great love that he actually gave us. While we were still weak, not admirable, not able, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, not this great friend who's been so faithful to me my whole life and I care so much about him, so yeah, I'm willing to die for him, but this weak, ungodly person. And then, and then in verse 7, Paul, who wrote Romans, says, look, very rarely, scarcely is the word in this, very rarely will anybody die even for a righteous person. 
Like if you found a really, really righteous person, most people aren't willing to lay down their lives for that person. Perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. You know? So very rarely, if you find a righteous person, is somebody going to die for that person? Maybe if, if they're good enough, you would say, yeah, it's worth it to, to sacrifice myself for them. But in contrast to that, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, not righteous, not good, not his friends, right? Weak, ungodly sinners, then Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Here's the verse I want you to connect John 15 to. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So in John 15, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for who? In John 15, for his friends. He's saying, here's the greatest love that you'll encounter in this world. Somebody might die for their friends. And then Romans 5 comes and says, you weren't Jesus' friend. And he died for you anyway. There's no greater love than this in the world that a man would lay down his life for his friends and Jesus is greater than that. Jesus' love for you is greater than that. Like maybe, maybe he'll die for his friends and Jesus dies for his enemies. Maybe he'll die for a good and righteous person and Jesus dies for weak, ungodly sinners. Jesus is the better friend. Jesus has a better love for you. Than the world has ever known. Jesus, if you, that old translation that keeps coming out of my mouth, <laughs> greater love has no man than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. I know that's not what was on when I was reading it this morning. It's not what, it says no one. But Jesus is a better man. The type of man that came in Adam, like the, the head of humanity, and we've all descended from, Jesus is a new Adam and a better Adam. Jesus is a new human and a better human. Jesus loves in a way that no one else has ever loved. Jesus brings a love to you and for you that no one else has ever brought. Jesus is a better friend. Maybe somebody will die for their friend. Maybe somebody will die for a righteous person. And that'll be the greatest love you see in this world from any human. Jesus dies for weak, ungodly sinners. While we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Jesus is the better friend, the better man, the better human. Jesus has the better love for you. And if you abide in him, if his words start to abide in you, that he's your life and his word is your life and he's producing himself in you and living this through you, this greater love comes to live in you. This love, this greater love that he has for you, he starts to produce in you and live through you. And it has the power to change people's lives, to change hearts, to bring people from darkness to light, to bring people from death to life to bring people from slavery to self and slavery to sin and slavery to the world to freedom, to freedom in Jesus, to freedom to know God, freedom to love God, freedom to be his people, freedom to be who he's called us to be. When he lives in you and he loves through you. And so I pray this morning that you'll know Jesus this way, that you'll trust Jesus this way. I pray for us to come to a place where we really, truly admit who we are apart from Jesus. And we're honest about it. 
and we bring it out into the light and we let those things die, the things that we would hide and be most ashamed of, we bring them out and say, here they are. But Jesus has dealt with these and Jesus has loved me anyway and so I can say this openly and I can die to it and I can walk away from it and I can come abide in his love because his love's always been here for me. I pray that you'll believe what he says about you and me, that you'll believe what he says about us and then you'll believe what he says about himself and you'll know him in his word and he will come abide in you and that you will love one another as he's loved us. Let's pray that together right now and then we're going to sing together and worship some more. Father, please do this work in us. Father, as much as I know how, and it's not enough, and so I ask you to keep producing it in all of us, including me, but as much as I know how, I believe you that apart from you, we can do nothing. We need you that much. We are that weak and that ungodly and that empty and that spiritually powerless and we acknowledge that and we confess it and we declare it right now Father we need you please Father by the work of your spirit and the truth of your word do this work in our hearts and help us to abide in you as you abide in us to remain in you to keep looking to you to keep trusting you to keep relying on you will you Father please by your grace produce everything that you've promised by your spirit and in your word. Do it in us for your purposes, for your glory, for your name. Make us this type of church and this type of people by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.